experience of this heaven are voracious carnivores. The poem speaks of Herod as a butcher who kills unsuspecting little lambs so that the inhabitants of heaven can eat all they like. And the oxen are so plentiful that the apostle Luke slaughters them without giving it a thought. Quote, unquote. The lyrics also have the inhabitants of heaven jumping and skipping and singing, but mostly gorging themselves on the endless supply of food. Peter catches fists and and Martha cooks them. So this child's vision of heaven turns out to be another fool's paradise where earthly appetites are indulged. And the author here says, I'm intrigued by the way the unbelieving world portrays heaven. At the one end of the spectrum is this view of heaven that exists to gratify earthly lusts. At the other is a cynical suspicion that heaven will be unbearably monotonous. The classic caricature pictures heaven's inhabitants sitting on clouds and playing harps. I don't know if anyone really imagines heaven will be like that, but I have no doubt that many people think of heaven as a bland, boring place with nothing enjoyable to do. Some golfers think the game may lose its charm in heaven when everyone makes only a hole in one. So this week, we're going to look at the truth about heaven. This is an easier topic than last week, but in some ways, it's been a little bit more difficult for me in my preparation because there's a lot to think about, and I think there's a little bit more material from the scriptures that that I could work on, but we don't have time to cover it all. And so we're just going to cover some of it. It's interesting because we do live in an age when people are more dogmatic and pushy about the books that people have written or the experiences that people have shared about when they supposedly died and went to heaven. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I don't know. But what I am trying to say, that instead of getting dogmatic and pushy about people's books and experiences of what they said happened when they died and went to heaven, why not look at what God actually says about heaven? There's plenty of good material there, so let's focus on that this morning. It's interesting. The closest heaven and hell will ever get to each other is the place they have in the English alphabet. They both start with the letter H. In my files, their file folders are right next to each other. But like I said, that's as close as they'll ever get because they are worlds apart. So let's look at number one, the overview of scriptural teaching. We're going to follow a similar, similar uh, a format that we, as we did last week. And so, number one, the overview of scriptural teaching. And I want to reiterate, like I mentioned last week, that this truth about what's called progressive revelation 
is very important when we look at the truth about heaven, which you have, the material you have about heaven in Genesis is a whole lot less than what you have. By the time you get to Revelation, you have a lot of material, and then also Revelation gives us some material that no other book does. We call that progressive revelation, that through Genesis and as you travel through the scriptures and eventually get to Revelation, the Bible progressively, little by little, gives us more and more information about different Bible doctrines. Progressive revelation. So as we look at the definition of the word heaven, we could say it's sky, atmosphere. It's used as another word for God, especially in Matthew, when it says the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God like the other gospel writers do. Matthew also says kingdom of God, but he also says kingdom of heaven, which is unique to him because the Jews often would use another word for God so they didn't use God's word itself or use God's name itself. And so thus Matthew would say kingdom of heaven. He's basically saying kingdom of God. Heaven also is another way of talking about God's presence. As we look in the scriptures, it seems to be organized uh, into maybe three stages, where the first stage being the sky or the firmament, firmament um, could be the celestial after that, the, the universe, the, uh, the stars, the, the uh, sun and the moon. And then finally, you get into God's dwelling place. As Paul talks about that third heaven. Some people would say it would be sky and uh, stars. And then the next would be that spiritual realm where angels and demons are. And then the third would be God's actual dwelling place. Like last week, we're going to just look at a small sample of the New Testament verses on heaven. Uh, we're not going to actually go through the Old Testament verses. Um, you can grab your concordance and open up and study that word heaven, and you can get all kinds of biblical references, and I think you should. That should be a part of your home Bible study. So let's move on over to the New Testament. I have a quote there on I thought was helpful. I share with you on Ezekiel's vision. Ezekiel's vision seems cryptic and it doesn't make sense to us. And the quote I put in your handout kind of helps give us a reason why Ezekiel's vision is hard for us to understand and visualize. So on to the New Testament. We're not going to go through all the references that are on your handout. You can open up your Bible at home and go through some of those other, handout, other references that I don't go through this morning. We're going to start with Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And verse 20. I feel this lament inside of me. I wish we had more time to go through all these references. We're just going to go through a few. Luke 10, 20. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. 
Luke chapter 23. <coughs> Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Truly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. John chapter 14. Verse 1, John 14, verse 1. Jesus has just told the disciples that he's going to be leaving them, and they're bothered by that. They don't want to ever leave him. And this is what he tells them. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And when he says you believe in God, he's referring to God the Father. And so he's saying you believe in God the Father, but believe in me, Jesus Christ. The Son, in my Father's house are many, and I'm going to use the translation, rooms. That is a little bit more of an accurate translation. The other translations use that word rooms or places. Um, I know there's a little bit of sentiment around that word mansions, but a little more accurate um, is room or place. My father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It is written. That means there's a quote coming here. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. For those who love him. Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Starting in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, talking about our body, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Talking about a resurrection body. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. 
We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be, and I'm skipping down to verse 8 there, I'm sorry. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. And depending on the translation, it will reorder the sentence for clarity there. So depending on what translation you were following along in, you will notice the order there can be quite a bit different than, than what I read. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our citizenship, I'm going to use the word citizenship there. All the other translations use that. The King James uses conversation, but the idea is citizenship here. The Greek word is much leaning that way. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is, even, he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You know, when I was in California, we... Uh, we were only there, actually living there three years. And during that time, because that's what we believe God wanted us to be, we were preparing to be there a long time. And during our time there, this was still home. But we expected at some point, because this is where we thought God wanted us to be long term, that eventually that would transition and that would become home. And so the feeling of home, wherever that is, whether it's here for you or whether you're a transplant and you still have a feeling of home somewhere else, that feeling of home, where my citizenship is, where I belong. And a lot of times we don't think of that in the heavenly sense. But where I belong, where my citizenship is, it's in heaven. This is just a temporary place. And so I'm really a stranger. The Bible uses the word stranger in the New Testament to describe Christians. We're strangers on this earth because our true citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 11. In verse 15. And the angel, excuse me, and the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then Revelation, uh, we're going to read this passage later on, but it's going to be Revelation chapters 21 and then 22. And so we'll move there a little bit later on. I mentioned last week when we looked at the truth about hell that it was interesting that the Apostle Paul said next to nothing about hell. But in contrast, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13, I think, New Testament books, quite a bit of the New Testament. He says a whole lot about heaven. I thought that was interesting, just some things to think about there. Let's move on to number two, the description of heaven. The description of heaven. We're going to look at the king, the kingdom, and the throne. One of the major themes of Scripture is here in this idea of kingdom. There is a kingdom conflict. There's a fight. There's a war that starts in Genesis chapter 3. And you and I are in the middle of that war. It is a clash of kingdoms. It is the ultimate clash of kingdoms. Satan's kingdom versus God's kingdom. Now, for what we know, that there's no real contest here, ultimately, as we talk about God versus Satan. The contest is, there's no contest there. But where the contest does play out and where we experience the contest is in the human race. And this is where, because God the Father loved the world, He has given the human race a chance to believe in His Son so that they can be a part of His kingdom. Because 
When you and I are born, we are automatically born into the wrong kingdom. We're born into Satan's kingdom. And the only way to be rescued from Satan's kingdom is through Jesus Christ. And that is why God the Father sent us Jesus Christ. So that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are rescued, you are redeemed, you are translated, you are transferred from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. Good works will never get us out of Satan's kingdom. It is only through the amazing work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, and when we believe and that's put onto our account, that we are rescued, transferred, redeemed from Satan's kingdom. A lot of people think that they are born into God's kingdom, but they're not. You were born into Satan's kingdom, and there's only one way out, and that's through Jesus. So as we talk about kings and the kingdom and a throne, kings are not just in the fairy tales, my friends. There is a throne in heaven, and God is sitting on it. And he has never left it. Someday the last battle will be fought between these kingdoms. And the king, the true king, will establish an eternal kingdom where there will never be war. There will never be a fight again. There will never be a moment of outpouring of wrath again. Those things will be of the age past. Then we have the new heavens and the new earth. That's the next description of heaven we want to look at. Scripture teaches in several places that our current heavens and current earth will wear out like a piece of clothing wears out. And it will be gone and it will no longer be here. In its place, a new heavens and earth will be put in place. Something that is more wonderful and more beautiful will be put in its place. In this new order, the things of this current order, or this current heavens and earth, will fade away in our memory. In this new order, sin, temptation, trials, hurt, tears, none of these things will be present in the new heavens and the new earth. In this new order, this new heavens and earth, God will himself serve as the sun, and they will be no more night. A new heavens and a new earth are coming. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in number three. Let's talk about the new Jerusalem. John MacArthur calls the new Jerusalem the crown jewel of heaven. And what we read in Revelation is that the new Jerusalem and the new heavens, the new earth, when it begins, the new Jerusalem is descending out of the sky. And so the new Jerusalem will be a part of the new heavens, the new earth. But it will not be just, the new Jerusalem is not just heaven. The new Jerusalem is a part of the new heavens and the new earth, which will be our eternal heaven. John MacArthur gives us this helpful description of the New Jerusalem. You know, when I read the biblical description in Revelation, 
it's, it's hard for me to concretely visualize, but he puts it in our terms, and so I'm going to read it to you. John says, The only one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod, and probably about 10 feet long, to measure the city, and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length as great as the width, and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. So the city is perfectly symmetrical, a massive cube, 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high. A height of 1,500 miles is hard for us to envision. On the current earth, something 1,500 miles high would extend well out of the earth's atmosphere, which is only about 100 miles deep. But remember that heaven and earth will then be merged and atmosphere will have ceased to be an issue. It will be totally different. According to these measurements, the New Jerusalem covers a surface area of 2.25 million square miles. By comparison, all of London is 621 square miles. The actual city of London itself is an area of only one square mile, with a population of about 5,000. So John MacArthur uses this, and it says, On this basis, the New Jerusalem would be able to house over 100 billion people. And that does not even take into account the, the height of the city. How far is 1,500 miles? It is about the same distance from Maine to Florida. Imagine such an area squared off and then cubed with multiple levels in millions of intersecting, intersecting golden avenues or streets. The New Jerusalem is a place of immense size and unearthly majesty and beauty. Just a little sampling there. There's a whole lot more from the description of the New Jerusalem which will be a part of the new heavens and earth, but that's just a sample. Let's move on to paradise. This is a very interesting concept, and I'm not sure how many people know it. I studied a few years ago for the first time, and it took me some time to get used to it. So let me ask you, does anybody know what the word paradise means? Okay, it's an ancient word, and it has to do with a garden. And so when the word paradise is used, it is talking about the garden of God. The concept is this, that you have the ability to be with the king and his beautiful gardens and to walk with him and to be with him. And so this takes us right back to the Garden of Eden, right? Sound familiar? And the idea here is that 
Adam and Eve got to walk with God in the garden. And part of heaven part is paradise in that we will be with God in his garden and we will be with him. The Garden of Eden was like a foretaste of heaven and that Adam and Eve got to be with God and walk with the garden and have fellowship with him. But sin ruined that fellowship. So how appropriate, because then there was a division and they could not be around God anymore. How appropriate then to describe heaven and use the word garden, garden of God, because sin will be taken care of. Sin will be no more. We will be in paradise with God, never to be disturbed or separated again. Paradise. As the Lord Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Next, God is with man. God is with man. This is a key theme in Scripture. And if you remember, uh, in Christmas time, I uh, preached on Emmanuel, or God with us. And I traced from the garden all the way to Revelation this theme of God being with us. And he gives this as a part of his covenant. And it's throughout the whole scriptures. And it culminates in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. Because it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So key part of heaven is that God is with man, never to be separated again. Let's look at the book of Revelation then, and let's read through this passage. Revelation chapter 21. I can't give you the truth about heaven without reading this passage. This is one of the most descriptive passages that we have. It is the most descriptive passage that we have about heaven. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven. This is John. This phrase, and I saw, shows up all over the book of Revelation because John's job is to take what he saw and write it down. That's what God gives the command to John to do at the beginning of the book. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there should be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And it goes on. 
and it gives us an extended description, but we do not have time to go through all that today, but I wanted to at least stick a toe into it. Let's move on to number three. I want to give some clarifications and explanations about heaven. Just a couple things here. I wish we had time for more. Let's look at the beginning of bliss. The beginning of bliss. We like to use that word bliss to describe our experience in heaven. As we think of heaven, our turmoil will be over and we'll be with God. When we die, we're in heaven, turmoil is over and we're with God. And this is true. But all the blessing of heavenly bliss we look forward to will not begin until the end of this age. And so there are parts of the heavenly bliss that we read about and look forward to that for those who are in heaven now, they have not experienced yet. Even in heaven, there are the effects of this age. And I'm going to give you some specific examples from the scripture. Satan can enter in and accuse believers in heaven. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, during the tribulation period, there is war in heaven. And Satan and his devils are thrown out of heaven for the remainder of the tribulation period. So even though heaven, you're with God, you're in paradise, as soon as you die, there are still some effects of this age that touch heaven right now. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, also during the tribulation, there are souls under the altar who had been martyred for the cause of Christ. And they're asking God, how long will it be before God avenges them? In Revelation chapter 19, the armies of heaven come and leave heaven and come to this earth and fight with the Antichrist in a cosmic, catastrophic battle, but with great victory. When someone dies right now, they do not receive the resurrection body right away. The resurrection hasn't happened yet. The dead in Christ shall go first and get the resurrection body, and then we which shall remain will then get ours next. But the resurrection has not happened yet. So there are aspects of heavenly bliss that have not come yet and will not come until the end of the age. That doesn't mean that heaven isn't wonderful now. Yes, it is, and they are with God. I look forward to that day. I will be face to face with Him. But to be... I want to give you this clarification and this explanation because there are aspects of heavenly bliss that have not come yet and will not come to the end of the age. So there is still yet something to look forward to with that new heavens and that new earth. Next thing I want to talk about is the type of existence that heaven will be in the new heavens and the new earth. One Bible dictionary says this, the popular conception of heaven revolves around clouds, 
harps and angels, with humanity marching through the pearly gates to live a life of bliss. And we can think of naked babies floating in the clouds with harps, like the art teaches us to think about. And perhaps you've thought about what heaven will be like, but maybe you haven't. And I'd like to maybe sharpen your focus. And when I'm talking about heaven, I'm talking about the new heavens and the new earth. We don't have a lot of information of what heaven is like now. Very, very little, except that we're with God. I'm looking forward to that. But we do have a little more information about what heaven will be like at the end of the age, in the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. And here's the basic idea. The new heavens and the new earth, our eternal heaven, will be an earth-like existence. You have the phrase, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth there at the beginning of Revelation chapter 21. We also have the new Jerusalem coming down out of the sky. And so it's different. It's way better and God will eternally dwell with man. We have almost this picture of the heaven that is God's abode now being emptied out and there is a new heaven and a new earth and it's with the new Jerusalem descending out of the sky and I don't know if it's suspended, it doesn't go into too much detail, but there it is hanging out of the sky and we have a new heaven and a new earth and God is eternally with man in an earth-like existence. We will then have our resurrection bodies. And I can say that our new our resurrection bodies, they will be able to eat. Jesus ate fish after he resurrected. Our resurrection bodies will not have the time, same time-space limitations that our bodies do now. We'll be able to talk in fellowship. We'll be able to work, design, and accomplish things, but without the curse. You see, God is a working God. We just label, labor under the curse. So right now, when you use the word work, it's synonymous with hard or sweat or pain. But that's not the way work always was. God commanded Adam to tend and keep the garden. There was work before the curse. God is a working God. He created. He accomplished. He designed. He ordered. And so what makes us think that when we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to design, accomplish, and work and do things. In fact, we will, and it will be without the curse. What gratification is that? I look forward to doing all the things that God has enabled me to do, but without the limitations of our earthly sin-like existence that is now. You think of the satisfaction that you and I can have from a job well done, but in an eternal resurrection body sense, way better. And I think of the relationships that you and I cherish and even greatly struggle with today on this earth in this age. 
Those relationships are not going to go away. God is a God of relationship. The only difference is we will have those relationships in the new heaven and new earth, but without the struggle of sin, without the heartache, without anger, without bitterness, without hostility, without misunderstanding. My pastor, when I was in college, he called, he called this threshold paralysis. And that's the idea of when you go over to someone's house or they come to your house and you know, you know that the time together is coming to a close, so you move towards the door and you, whether you're getting on your coats or whatever, you, then you stand there by the door and talk for another 20 or 30 minutes or maybe another hour because you're enjoying being together and talking, but you know the time needs to come to an end. And so there is that thrill and that joy of fellowship and relationship of talking, enjoying and sharing and having things in common. And that's going to be an eternity and it's going to be forever. And there's no limitations. It's going to be awesome. Great delight in relationships. I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking with Abraham. King David. I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking with you in heaven. We're going to have such sweet fellowship together, you and I. Give you a hug. Looking forward to that day in heaven with you. I'm also looking forward to talking to my Lord Jesus Christ. Have a meal with him in his heavenly kingdom. As part of communion, you know, we talk about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper anticipates a future meal together, a supper together with him and his kingdom. I'm looking forward to that day. I want to go to that meal. Food's going to be good and the fellowship's going to be good. And I bet you it's going to be a beautiful setting. No indigestion. No more dieting. Amen? Everything Scripture says about death of believers indicates that they are immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord. I look forward to that, but I also look forward to the end of the age when our new heaven and our new earth arrive. It's only then at that point are the tears wiped away. I don't know how all that works out now. I know there'll be a great delight to be with Jesus when I die. Or if he comes while I'm still alive, I look forward to that day. So much we could say. But I hope your, your soul, your heart is full of what God has offered us. But let me make it abundantly clear. I said it already this morning. I'll say it again. When you were born on this earth, you're born in the wrong kingdom. Heaven is not automatically yours. Heaven only belongs to God's kingdom. And the only way to God's kingdom is through believing in Jesus Christ and following him. Period. End of conversation. Don't make that mistake of pride or trying to cover up your true condition. You're a sinner. You're helpless. You're worthless. You have nothing to boast about. Neither do I. You need Jesus for your salvation and also in your life day by day.
All right. Let's take a minute and pray. Worship the Lord for the heaven that he's going to give us. And if you don't know you're going there, come to Jesus today.